So, what we've got here in Romans 8 verses 1 to 17 is a real statement about the difference between the non-spiritual person and the spiritual person because it makes comparisons as it goes through. Those who live according to the Spirit are like this. Those who live according to the flesh are like this. And the idea of being filled with the Spirit is something that should be tangibly, visibly obvious, at least to other Christians. Non-Christians have got their minds, their eyes veiled, so they can't see things clearly, although they will probably notice there is a difference. They will probably notice there is something. But the tangible, visible obvious nature of being full of the Spirit is something that should be clear to other Christians. So from that chapter, just tell me some of the things that are different between Christians and non-Christians. They have different desires. Mm -hmm. I'm having myself on different desires, like... Um, um, a non-Christian would have their mindset on like desire of the world and money, fame, sex, Johnny, all those kind of things. Whereas uh, a, a person with their mind in according to the spirit has desires like God and what God desires for their lives and stuff. They have a peaceful um, outlook on life, whereas someone who such a sinful thing the whole time would be we'd never sort of get peace or complete satisfaction through them okay how true is it that a Christian doesn't have their mind set on some of the things you listed oh uh, not variable yeah right so this any Christian or any Christian any Christian. Oh, there is one. <laughs> okay, how true is it for you then, if you want to be more specific? Yeah, it depends. We're all rubbish. We're all rubbish in sin. We're all rubbish. We're all rubbish. Because, you see, this idea that having thought about our lifestyle, the next thing should be we are filled with the Spirit and we are full of the Spirit is so important, and yet we do not live like that naturally. Mm -hmm. If we leave ourselves to ourselves, we will go back into the mindset of the world very quickly. To be full of the Spirit is an action that you need to take every day, every week, every hour even for some of us. That you need to bring yourself back to a place of God and allow the Spirit to fill you. If you go a few days without, you are down a path which isn't God's path and we all do that we all wander between the two things but actually if we're going to be really able to share the gospel then we need to be people who are putting ourselves back into the presence of God on a regular basis so we can be filled with him um, it says I don't know where it says that I shall have to work through it now to find that uh, so we'll, we'll just go through it from the beginning and see uh, if there's more on this. The first thing, because the end of chapter 7 has been talking about, oh, what a sinful man I am. When I want to do the good things, I end up finding that the bad things are the only things I, I do. That I'm constantly 
doing things which are not what my heart desires. And he says, you know, who's going to rescue me from this? Thanks be to God, because of what he's done through Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, the first difference that should be clear for a Christian, as opposed to a non-spiritual person, is that there is no condemnation. And if you thought about that and really allowed that to take hold, you would be so filled with joy and so filled with a lightness of life that it would be very different. But unfortunately, Christians tend to be more full of condemnation than non-Christians. I'm such a sinful wretch. How will the Lord ever forgive me? And oh no, yet once more I have thought blasphemous thoughts in a worldly manner or whatever. But actually, God says, there is no condemnation. How guilty do you feel? Generally. Or... Yeah, generally. Generally. Quite guilty, quite a lot of the time. Mm. I like that standard. Most, most Christians feel that, because this truth is one of the last things we learn. I I don't know it. I don't know it in the sense that it really liberates me. Occasionally I do. Occasionally I bring myself before God and think, God, all of that stuff you've dealt with that you're not condemning me for, you've dealt with it. And I smile for half a second and then I go into the, Oh, but I'm such an unworthy sinner. And that's blasphemy. Because God says there is no condemnation. And the word of God says you are clean. You are set free. There is no sin. And it's how a human being can fly. It's the only way a human being can fly. Because we're, well, apart from paragliding and hang gliding and aeroplanes. But I mean, you are actually lifted off the ground and out of the bog that we walk in. If you really understand, Christ has set me free. There is no condemnation. And Paul has just listed in chapter 7 the fact that he feels, he can feel so easily bogged down because I am such a sinful person, blah, blah, blah. Who will set me free? Christ has set me free, therefore there is no condemnation. And that enables us to live lives which are full of the Spirit. Because if we're full of guilt and shame and full of, self-condemnation we are pushing the Holy Spirit out when we realize that Christ has set us free we're making space for the Holy Spirit inside us and he can fill us through Christ verse 2 the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death the law of sin and death is a biblical principle if a person sins he shall die. Starts in the Garden of Eden. If a person sins, she shall die. All the way through the Bible, that is the case, until we get to the Gospel. And if a person sins, Christ shall die. And he has died for us. Therefore, he set us free from the law of sin and death. No longer does our sin mean that we will die. The wages of sin is death, 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that is such a... We all say it glibly, but it's got to be understood. If we're going to really be able to share the gospel, it's got to be understood for us. It's okay, I'm free. And it's like someone... Sorry. You've got to accept it. Yeah. You've got to accept it and you've got to know it. And it's like maybe you have been an egg, uh, a, a hostage in a desert place, in a dry little room where the only thing you've seen is a chink of light coming through a crack in the ceiling and you've had maybe a glass of water a day and maybe half a slice of bread a day or something like that for four, five, six years and then one day you're set free. Now, to start with, you probably wouldn't even go out of the cell. To start with, if, if someone just came away and opened the door and said, right, you do what you like, now you're free. You're going to start by staying in that cell because that's your frame of reference. And coming out and being free outside, perhaps to start with, is just overwhelming. But once you come to the point, I can go anywhere, I don't have to stay here, I am free, you will never go back to that cell. And we need to get that sense of, I am free of sin. I shouldn't be going back to that place of condemnation all the time. It's open, it's gone, it's free. Okay? And that is such a thing to really pray, God help me to understand this. God help me to absorb this. God help me to live like this. So it says, you know, the Old Testament law was powerless to set us free. But God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful person to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. So Jesus' death makes the law fulfilled in me because the law says if you sin, you must die. Jesus' death has fulfilled that by saying actually I'll die for him. I'll die for her. So that Old Testament stuff is dealt with. Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law, I came to fulfil it. So when people say, ah, oh, you know, but the Old Testament says this, the New Testament says that, God has changed his mind. No, God has fulfilled the Old Testament requirements through what Jesus did. And that is why some of it is cancelled. Some of it is no longer bound on us because Jesus has fulfilled it. So we're free. But what has he done? Well, read the Old Testament, you'll find out what the, the whole depth of what he's done for us. So then in verses 5 onwards, he compares the person who lives according to the sinful nature with the person who lives according to the Spirit. And it's perhaps a good check. Never allowing yourself to be condemned, because there is no condemnation, but it's perhaps a good check to think, am I living according to the Spirit? Or am I living according to the sinful nature? By looking at these verses and thinking, you know, what are my desires on? Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What is your mind set on on any particular day? 
and that's a check of how close you are perhaps at the moment to God because it should be on what the spirit desires the sinful stuff leads to death but the mind controlled by the spirit is full of life and peace the sinful mind is hostile to God it doesn't submit to God's law and it can't those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God but you are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the spirit if the spirit of God lives in you and if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ he doesn't belong to Christ but if he is in you your body is dead because of sin your spirit is alive because of righteousness your body being dead because of sin means your body isn't going to live forever your body is going to rot uh, just hopefully you're not in it at the time it does it um, but you you are living forever okay that you have the spirit which is going to last forever because Christ has set you free so that contrast is important but it goes on to say even more in verse 11 if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you in other words the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and brings life even to that body of yours so although your body is dead it has a life in the spirit the spirit gives life now what does that mean well ultimately it means you will be resurrected and your body will have a new life but it also I think means that we can expect the spirit to be giving life to our bodies and if our bodies are wearing out we can expect the spirit to renew them and there are there are certainly Christians who will teach you that you should not accept sickness or infirmity or old age problems but you should say Lord renew my body and you know that's a level of faith that may be valid that may be right but the first thing is to know there's no condemnation and we're free because we're not going to get to that other level if we don't know that first Okay, so the last bit of this passage is about an obligation. The obligation is what? What is the obligation that's mentioned in verses 12 to 17? children then we're heirs it means if we're going to re if we're receiving all this we need to kind of buy into the idea mm -hmm. is, that what, is that kind of what you're getting at I'm not at all <laughs> yeah no, I think that's right that we, we have an obligation to to God we have an obligation to live according to what he's telling us and that is to turn away from the 
soulish sinful stuff is to turn to him is to be filled with him is to be enriched by him um, and it's to be de definite about being full of the spirit and living with the spirit so how do we become full of the spirit spending time with God or something mm -hmm. well, you have to, I mean you have to choose you are, you're either going to you're either going to say that, that I accept this and this is I want to live my life in God's way and I'm going to therefore you know make sacrifices and try and try and do those you know try and fill my mind with those things those things or you're just going to kind of ignore it and you're not going to be really filled with God's spirit if your own agenda is getting in the way and pushing it out I, so you kind of have to put your own agenda and stuff to the side mm. and things that you might selfishly want to do or late, you know or things that are against what God wants mm. in order to in order for that spirit to grow in you and it to become the kind of the dominant thing in you definitely it's a uh, we have an obligation to really absorb God and to spend time with God and to enable him to fill us and he can't fill us if we are allowing our minds to be dominated by our sinful nature we have to become spiritually minded to be spiritually full yeah, because then it's that um, body, mind, spirit thing mm -hmm. right? people of the world have their body in control and then their minds submit to them the spirit just like ah Whereas if we're meant to have our spirit in control yeah. and our minds submit to our spirit and then our body just like saying something different when we're not listening to it because it's not the same control. What did you do when I did talk? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by the spirit? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And the best way is just to spend time with God and not praying for the world but praying simply about your relationship with God, loving God speaking with God, letting him meet with you. And that is the way to be filled with his spirit, to allow him to control, to flow, and to work in us. And then we discover in the last bit that you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again, but you received the spirit of sonship. What does that mean? It's like with the prodigal son, isn't it? You don't come back as a servant or as a slave. You come as a son, mm. and mm. it's a different sort of relationship. Yeah. That we can actually call God Father. Daddy. Daddy. Isn't Abba Father like the most intimate way of saying Father? There is like yeah. Daddy, but like more intimate than that. Yeah. And that, if you think about it, is mind blowing you think about who God is mm. if you think about how God has revealed himself to the Jews in the Old Testament which was always benevolent but always a little bit standoffish and fear of God and all that sort of stuff and then he says I want you to call me daddy and I want you to be that sort of close to me that there is an intimacy with me you who are just one human being 
one of 6,000 million alive at the moment, about 9,000 million that has ever, ever been alive. And yet you call me daddy. You have that relationship. And you do that because the Holy Spirit inside you is intimately communicating with the Father as well. And the Father, the Son and the Spirit are communicating and you are part of that. You are there with them in that relationship. But more than just we can call him Daddy, we become heirs. Now, some people have said, uh, what's the point of being an heir of God if he's never going to die, you're never going to inherit anything. <laughs> but what does the prodigal son story tell us? So you get it when, as soon as you accept him, you, as soon as you kind of accept him, you, you begin to benefit from that in terms of your, you come into the family. That's right. Because the young, the older son said, and he said, all you have to do is ask. You can have whatever you like. All you have to do is ask God. You can have whatever you like. If that's not your experience, I can only suggest it's because going back to the beginning. Firstly, we're living under condemnation, and we haven't accepted that it's free. We are forgiven we are made righteous and then we're not living filled with the spirit because we're living with our mindset on the sinful nature and we're not living with God and we're not getting filled with God and we're not taking him at his word and we're not taking him at face value and therefore we are missing out on the ultimate promise of being an heir heirs of God co-heirs with Christ if we share in his sufferings and all that we also share in his glory there's the, perhaps the sting in the tail if we share in his sufferings. But actually, that doesn't mean necessarily the physical sufferings. I think it also means the groaning and the longing for his creation. It means the, the feeling, the pain that God has for what is in our world. Because you have no control about whether you're going to get persecuted but you do have control over whether you're coming close to God and sensing his yearning for the salvation of many so that we begin to take on the passions and the desires that he has and share them with him. So, if we're talking about how we share the gospel, and we said the first time, you need to think about your lifestyle, and you need to think about your actions, and you need to think about what you're doing, then this next bit sort of builds on that, because it's saying, the way to do that is to come to God, to know what he's saying, and to absorb the truths of God, so that the Holy Spirit can really fill us, and make us close to him, and make us like him. Because the third bit will be gossip, we'll be talking about God. But if that's not backed up by the way we think and the way we act and the way we are, then it's nothing. Any other thoughts on all of that?
Okay.